Hello and welcome to the Be Less Dumb podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches who are more intelligent than I am and work in different areas than I am used to. I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to become a little less dumb in the process. Hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to today's podcast. In this episode, we are back with the basketball gang again. So that's James, who has his MSc in strength and conditioning and worked with the Irish under-16 men's team. It's Michael Stack, who has his bachelor's of strength and conditioning and has worked on the an Irish under-17s team with me and is now currently working with Scotland Basketball. And then that's Declan as well, who also has his bachelor's in strength and conditioning and has worked on two Irish teams. So the topic of today's podcast is going to be all about speed training for youth sports and youth basketball, obviously, in particular. So speed training is, and more specifically, acceleration is incredibly important for, for basketball, as you can think. So it usually takes about zero, to, you know, maybe about 30, 40 meters to kind of start hitting your maximal speed for running or your maximal velocity. Before, before that, you're still in your acceleration phase. A basketball court is only roughly around 27 meters long, so it doesn't really allow room for you to hit the maximal velocities. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't train maximal velocity uh, speed, but really the emphasis for basketball is going to be on acceleration. And this is kind of backed up by tons of research studies, um, dating all the way back to 1995 or, uh, with McKins, or maybe even as recent as a needs analysis in 2014 by Reed and a couple other guys. You're looking at, you know, stating that they state that the most common distances in straight line running, and we are talking a little bit about straight line running today, is kind of zero to 10 meters, zero to 15 meters. Um, and they also show that that has a, you know, can have a, it can be a key performance indicator within basketball. Uh, a key performance indicator is just something that, you know, you can relate back to the training room and try to improve. That's going to have you help your outcome in the sport. Um, so we're going to touch a little bit, first of all, on, a, on the key performance indicator. Um, I'll give you an example just to kind of so resonate with you a little bit. Uh, first one, I'm going to tell you about a Polish study that was done in 2006 by Kapowicz, and they talked about posts um, having posts or taller players having worse acceleration technique and acidic-like speed. Um, now, in youth sports, that might be a little bit less important, but I'm sure that every, every skills coach, every S&C coach who's coached basketball listening to this We'll have an understanding that you know generally when you when you are coaching speed or looking at a game your post players tend to accelerate well, probably at a poorer standard than your guard players too so that for me when i when i was coming into the irish setup gave me you know an idea that you know if we could have our post players working and accelerating as well then that might give us some kind of competitive advantage so we actually going back to 2018 uh, we had a play at europeans where it was very very simple i can't really remember the name of it from being honest um we would line up and we'd put one of our post players on, on the wing. So they, they would be out there on the wing. And what we would do is very simply, we'd have our pet post come towards line, change direction and just accelerate as hard as possible and have our inbounder throw the ball over the top and running an open layup. Very simple. Um, and it worked <laughs> surprisingly. I think it worked in every game bar, bar one against big teams, Slovakia, Switzerland, Israel. It was kind of crazy. Um, you know, it kind of shows you that at the most basic, you can use acceleration to kind of get you an easy layup and get you an extra couple of points or maybe four to six points in a game. But it's obviously so important for other aspects as well. And if you go and actually onto my Instagram, if you get a chance and look at the video I, I put together on, on, on that European Championships and acceleration, you'll see um, loads of different instances where it helps. And, you know, you're talking about steals, um, steals running in open layups, blocks, etc., stuff like that, um, just from having that good acceleration technique and that reaction stimulus of, of moving first. 
Okay, so now that we've kind of uh, touched on that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the first question over to Mike. So Mike, I want you to tell me a little bit about the details that go into, you know, planning a speed session. So maybe, you know, the timing of the session, when it goes, the kind of general, general status of the, of the session versus game specifically. Uh, and then maybe talk about a little bit about technique. And then maybe afterwards, you know, we can maybe touch on a few session considerations. Is that cool with you? Yeah, sure. So again, as you said, I'm going to just go into some of those timings, considerations, so maybe technical and practical application for sport and more specifically basketball. So if I start with the, the, the kind of the practical side of it, when we worked in our underage setup, we had a group of 20 athletes, give or take one or two who would drop in and out during the during the year. And how that would look in a typical session is we would usually split the group into two and then we would have one group that would perform their skills and then the other would perform their speed session and each session would typically last, say, 45 minutes. Um, what we would try to do is typically perform these sessions in the first two hours of the training camp so the players were fresh. Um, again, as we spoke about last week, it isn't always the case as players are kind of usually competing the night before, travelling long distances, in an ideal situation, they'd be coming in fresh, but uh, in a majority of the time, this doesn't happen in sport, so we just have to work around that. And in a book by Brown and Ferrigno in 2014, also kind of backs this up, it states that all speed work should be placed at the start of the session, as it requires high quality work and maximum efforts. Um, and again, the, one of the reasons why we might see technique breakdown is because of fatigue, because the body's nervous system is responsible for high muscular contractions um, and if the, the, the athlete is in a fatigue state it's more difficult for them to train with these maximal efforts and produce the high level of forces needed um, so what that would look like within our sessions is we would usually kind of incorporate some speed drills in the warm-up so it kind of reinforces the skill to the players um, and again it's kind of specifically for basketball it's like it plays an important role in um outcomes for sports performance and a study by Winchester in 2008 would have backed that up and again as you spoke about earlier kind of when we're talking about sprinting we're talking about the kind of acceleration phase of sprinting so that's zero to 30 meters and the average distance of acceleration within basketball would be would be around 10 10 meters zero to 10 meters so we're trying to develop qualities that kind of are used to them are, are specific to their sport um, again the the zero to 10 acceleration is is a key is a can have um, can impact key performance indicators in basketball, kind of such as in your kind of your open layups, your steals, or blocks. Again, as as you would have touched on, Danny, and we would have tried to train speed all year round. But again, we would be looking at kind of focusing on general and specific qualities. So, like general forms would be your basic kind of aerobic runs, fitness kind of fitness stuff, and um, circuit training, and then. Um, as we will go into in more detail later, plyometrics kind of were in the middle, and then obviously your sprint drills were the, were the most spe specific form. Of, obviously, um, sprinting itself can be an effective drill. Why is we kind of more focused on that? Um, again, when we're talking about high speed running, obviously it can prepare athletes for for forces that will they'll be required to produce uh, um, during the game. Um, when we're talking about game specific application, it would be kind of 10, 10 meter accelerations, kind of maybe different starting positions, changes of direction, decision, decision making and producing maximum velocity from kind of a static start. So you're having to um, produce high levels of force. Um, when we're talking about volume in a session, 
uh, early research back with Matthew Charlie Francis would have suggested for track and field athletes at least that 600 metres of volume would have been sufficient but we would have looked at maybe because athletes were maybe more fatigued we wanted to get more quality work in that we were looking at maybe three to 400 metres was more appropriate less volume and more rest in between would kind of lead to lead to um lower time average times of sprints and how that would look is kind of maybe two to three sets of six kind of six to eight accelerations um we were looking at kind of high intensity work with more emphasis on technique again leading to kind of improved tissue strength and kind of a maximum training effect which allows the body to kind of be more prepared to meet the higher demands of the sport um again Using sprinting as a, an, a can be an effective tool in kind of rehabbing ACL and hamstring injuries as well, which we would have looked at. Um, kind of creating more stiffness in the muscle and tendons, which kind of puts you in a better position to match those sporting movements. Um, and then less gr- stiffness again, resulting in less ground contact time and kind of uh, which leads to kind of better foot positions closer to your center of mass, which is kind of an op- optimal technique. I won't go too much into that um leave that to the guys um again kind of looking at kind of when it came to technique we were kind of looking at obviously posture limbs um limb mechanics um working on these individual parts um in conjunction with kind of sprint training to kind of uh improve as a whole especially with the development athletes again we're looking at when we had our squad we were looking at obviously it was a development squad they had a, a year to kind of focus on these skills um again what it looked like i uh, kind of lower you're looking at like kind of lower body triple extension to optimize kind of horizontal forces uh posture control stability um high hip heights to create kind of better elasticity less eccentric hamstring load um kind of you're looking at your march drills kind of build a foundation and then putting all those pieces together Excellent. Yeah, thank thank you for, for going into detail there. So, yeah, some, some really good topics there. And, you know, I mean, even going back to the very start of what you were talking about there when it came to, you know, timing um, and, and starting with your speed work, it's kind of important, I think, you know, for, for, for people to understand that if you're taking half a group in a big, say if you've got 20 athletes taking half a group, the 10 that you're working with are doing sprint mechanics, but also the, the other 10 are doing skills work, but it's kind of low-level skills work. You know, it might just be, performing free throws or something kind of not very intense so that they are then fresh when we switch over um so just to kind of like wrap up on that and kind of come to a conclusion on it can you give us some kind of session considerations mike so yeah like i mean again we're looking at um as i said before we're again you need to kind of be taught like i would talk to the players a lot beforehand and just kind of see how they're feeling Again, if there's any niggles and stuff like that, if they're feeling fresh, if they're feeling good, then we might give them some more volume. We might give them a little bit less volume. But again, we're trying to keep the intensity high um, with the kind of the rest periods in between. Obviously, you want them to be a bit longer because we're talking about players trying to create, um, trying to produce high levels of force. So again, you, you want them to be as fresh as possible. Um, so low volume, again, research kind of would have, there is research to say that look kind of low volume sessions with longer rest in between as i said before we kind of lead to to lower times um obviously technique was was our we're looking at technique as being the building the foundation again if, if players aren't kind of up to scratch with that if they're struggling a little bit we might pull them out and do some work on some individual stuff as i did said before 
um, and then try and put the pieces together. Okay, perfect. Yeah, thank you so much and for I mean, that, mate. So I would just finish up a little bit with, I mean, kind of as we're this, the scenario we're in at the moment, where like you see a lot of athletes and they're kind of doing longer distance runs, maybe kind of five and ten k. Um, again, this is this is useful for like you know building up your basic aerobic fitness, but I mean. In terms of kind of preparing yourself to match forces that you're going to produce in games, maybe that's it's it's not going to be not going to give you the best bang for your buck. Again, like most hamstring injuries we see occurring are kind of during these high speed runs. So I think maybe the speed training was was a important factor for us in terms of trying to keep players ready to be able to perform at a high intensity on the court while while putting them in a strong position to avoid these overload injuries when we had spikes in in workload and. Um, and eventually kind of uh, lead them back to a return to play if, if they were injured. Yeah, and that's, that's actually a good point to touch on. It's been very much a common theme for every podcast that I've done with safe field sport coaches and stuff like that is this high-speed running versus this kind of 5 to 10K aerobic slow pace running. Um, now, realistically, it, it, you know, when it comes to basketball athletes, it's probably going to be less of less of an issue, but... And I, I think the thing you said right there was like the, the return to training, right? So we don't see a whole a whole ton of hamstring injuries in, in games themselves, but we are going to be looking at people who have been running 5Ks all, all, all during this, say, COVID problem and then coming back to try and perform high-speed running. That's probably where you're going to see it. So it's a really important topic and point, and thank you for touching on it. Um, okay, so just moving on from that, so I'm going to move on to you now, Deck. So we, we heard we heard Mike talk a bit and you know in good good detail about the technique and how technique is priority and I'm sure we we'd all massively agree on that and I kind of want to maybe you to go into a little bit of detail on what you look for when we are say talking about technique and what kind of influenced you and maybe some of the so kind of the research might have influenced you a little bit in how you assessed uh, sprint mechanics and then some possibly some of the drills that you do and you know pushing on from that the coaching cues. Yeah, perfect. Uh, thanks, Danny. And yeah, that was brilliant and uh, very informative. Like, um, so I suppose when I'm coaching acceleration and the technique of acceleration in particular, I, I like to follow a system. And uh, it was a system kind of first proposed by Gambetta, uh, uh, foreign Gambetta, and it's called the PAL system. Um, so Gambetta in himself is a very experienced athletic trainer. Um, he's worked with um, various kind of codes and disciplines and um, professional sport over the last maybe 20, 30 years. Um, I actually, I highly suggest it, actually, if anyone is um, tuning in, just to kind of check out some of his articles, check out some of his books um, on conditioning. Uh, they're, they're very good and very informative. Um, but anyway, when I'm, when I'm looking at everyone's skills, I'm looking at that pal, I'm looking at running a skill as a motor task. Um, so as a motor task, we know that it's teachable and it's trainable. Um, so you're, you're looking to, to increase that movement efficiency, really, as your main goal. So that's going to increase your power. It's going to increase your speed. It's going to increase the, you're going to have less energy lost throughout the movement. Um, so, so with any motor task in particular, a kind of a systematic approach is probably your best option. Um, so kind of it'll yield your, your optimum, your, your best results. So, so the PAL, is, it's an acronym. It's, it's, it simply just stands for posture, arms, and legs. So it provides a good context um, to kind of to, to analyze the movement. Um, so, you know, as I said, like, it's, it's systematic. So it's a step-by-step uh, teaching progressions. Um, so anyway, with, with posture and kind of what I look for within the posture is more, it should reflect the alignment of the, of the whole body. So, you know, you're focusing from the foot the whole way up to the top of the head. Um, and, and what I found actually within, say, basketball and within, in other areas that I coach is 
when you initially improve the posture, it, it has a knock-on effect to improve your arm and your leg action. You know, it, ju- it just seems that they kind of fall into place that bit better. Now, you're still going to have underlying issues with both, but it just makes a more fluid movement. Um, so what you'll be looking for, you're looking for, kind of, especially with acceleration in five metres, you're looking for a straight back. Uh, you're looking for that aggressive forward lean. Um, and all your kind of bend is going to be coming through your ankles. Um, and again, in your starting position, generally, if you your static start, you're going to start with one foot in front of the other. Um, again, you, you'll work in as you progress, and I'll work with that with the leg action. You'll work from different kind of uh, start, uh, starts. Um, so the best way I kind of I, I look to kind of coach posture is I'll start with something like a calf stretch. So a simple calf stretch where you're standing with your hands up against the wall, you've got one foot in front of the other, and you're pushing back in that calf, and you can see that straight line. So that straight line from that ankle through the knees, through the hips, and up through the, the shoulders and the head. And then you progress it on, you know, further on a bit. You'll do maybe your wall drives or start off with a wall march and then break into your wall drives. Just focusing on that posture, keeping them hips, you know, kind of down, keeping that straightness, keeping that aggressive lean. Um, so that'd be the first kind of area I look at. And then, then I look into your arm action, um, which is peculiar because a lot of people will say to me that, like, leg action is, is the, the driving force of acceleration. But if you don't have these two areas right beforehand, you're wasting all your energy and your leg movements. So, so with the arm action, the arm action serve two main functions. So they assist with balance and they kind of provide that strong propulsive force. So the movement of the arms will propel you in that linear direction. So what you're looking for then within that, I suppose, is excessive arm action. So if the arms are moving way too fast for the legs, you know something's out of sync. Um, or if the elbows are winging or if there's rotation of the arms across the body, you know that you're, you're losing energy. So you're not as efficient as you could be. Um, and ways I, I, I'd look to kind, of, to kind of tailor that is maybe just start them sitting down, looking at your arm action. And I'll use coaching clues like, clues like uh, hip to lip. You know, so whereas just for instance, your right hand was at your hip, you're just level with your hip, your left hand will be level with your lip. And then you're just switching positions. And what that'll do is that'll work with your leg action. So that means when your right leg is up, your right arm is up. If your right leg is up, your left leg is up, that kind of thing. So they'll, they'll work in, in kind of opposition to each other. Um, or sorry, yeah, with your left leg is up, your right uh, your right leg is up, your left arm is up. Um, so yeah, I'll work into that. And I'll work that into my aim actions then. And I'll work it into my A skips. Now, initially, I'll work with my aim actions and A skips, as you know yourself, just with the leg movements. But I find working in the arm movements into that Get some prepared for the movement before you're doing your five meter accelerations, before you're doing your 10 meter accelerations, so that they know exactly the kind of positions I want them in and what's more efficient for them. Um, so that brings me on to kind of the leg moves, leg actions. So, as I said, you know, it's leg action is the driving force of acceleration. There's no two ways about it. The, leg, the legs are going to propel you, uh, propulse you forward. And that comes from law of motion. What Newton's third law of motion is what uh, every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So, therefore, the force you deliver into the ground is going to propel you in the opposite direction. Okay? So, you're looking for, I suppose, through that and the kind of technique of that, you're looking for a high knee and a Darcy flexion. Okay? You're looking for triple extension and driving back into that, that ground. Um, that'll force you into that triple extension to propulse yourself lower. Uh, you're looking at, especially acceleration, you're looking for your short, quick steps. So, again, you're going to be in, gradually increasing your stride as you go to your max speed but again as you said with 27 meters or something like that of a basketball court you're, you're possibly never going to reach your max speed from a standing start now you will probably reach it 
if you're already on the move, but you won't reach it from that standing start that you're working on. Um, so cues I, I kind of I, I look at or I try to use with that. It's kind of the floor's lava is one I kind of I use. It was popular maybe a couple of years ago, that game, the floor's lava. So that's kind of stuck in my head or, or punch back the floor. So your, your leg is as stiff as a poker. So you're knowing that you've got that kind of straight leg force action that's going to propel yourself up. Um, so all of that kind of comes and you all kind of, what you're, you're trying to do then really is you're trying to work all of that together. So you're going to start off individual, then you're going to try and link it all together to do your five and 10 meter acceleration. You could look at other things throughout the PAL now that, that probably hasn't been directly referenced within Gambetta's PAL, like head movements. So if your head is aggressively moving left or right or up or down, you're probably going to lose energy there as well. Um, so anything that may result in a loss of energy or loss of that directional force, you're going to try and look at. But the good thing about PAL is it breaks it down really nice and simple. And especially for me, where I was coaching 25 um, players at the one time, it's very impractical to be able to do that on your own. So by giving these kind of coaching cues and establishing these kind of little you know, individual areas to work on, you could allow your players to almost coach themselves. So I think you, uh, you touched on, we're on a, a peer-assisted learning. Uh, you said to me, and it was actually a conversation I had with you the other day, but you were talking about this peer-assisted learning where you're allowing your players to kind of coach themselves for points that you're giving them. Um, and then they, they can concentrate on that one part at a time, and then they're adding them together, and they're adding them together from a basis of knowledge. Um, and then, especially as well as if, you know, if something's breaking down in a certain area, if you bring them to that five-meter acceleration and something is breaking down, then it's very, very simple to regress that and bring it back to something that we know, okay, we've done this before, you know what the, the points are with it, and we're going to do this for a minute or two, five minutes, we're going to get you back, we're going to get you doing that five-meter acceleration again and see does that make a difference. And maybe have to work on that over a couple of weeks then to try and you know build up their kind of subconscious knowledge of, okay, this is the way I should be moving when I do, when I sprint or when I accelerate. So, yeah, that, that's my main things with, with the kind of the posture, the arms, the legs, and, and focusing on a big thing for me, a big thing for you as well, and it's one thing you said to me when I took on the program, is just focusing on educating the players or, or educating the players um, on the best practice so that they, they have a knowledge going away. Um, and so they can critique themselves and they can kind of analyze themselves. And then anything is you, you can progress fairly, pretty rapidly through the places. Um, so that, that's kind of all I, I, I would, I, I would do. And I would look at. Perfect, mate. Yeah. Um, that was excellent. Really. I, I, one thing I do like that you do is all your, I do like your aggressions. I like your progressions. I think they all make perfect sense. The cues are good. And, yeah, and I suppose it's a thing that uh, we can touch on a little bit now is that kind of like peer-assisted learning. And, and yeah, exactly. When, when you took on, I guess it would have been the under-18 team and we were chatting, I, what I said to you was when it, when it comes to speed training, make sure they know what they meant. Don't just tell them, make sure they know, right? So when it, if, if you're asking them to perform it in a certain technique, well, put them into little groups, get them to do it on their own, and then get them to critique each other, come back and ask them. Because then at least they're thinking, well, I'm looking at this girl's technique and you know, I think her arm might not be as high as it should be or it might not be as aggressive as we want it. Her, her heel was hitting the ground on the first step. Then at least subconsciously in their head when they're doing it, that's now them something they're thinking about. And one thing that, that that does is when you kind of get them into a group and you let them talk about it after one of them's performed a rep, it gives you adequate rest time, you know. So you're, not, you're getting a lot of, a lot of high speed and, and good acceleration work done with a good enough rest time and it's not boring. So they are learning and they're talking and stuff like that. And you know, every part about youth sports kind of always falls back to educating the athlete as much as possible. Yeah. 
Um, really, really, really good job. Anything else you want to touch on there before we move on, Declan? Uh, no, that, that's perfect, Danny, yeah. Uh, perfect. I, I look forward to, to, to listening to James now. <laughs> yeah, so now, now last but not least, we're going to talk to James. And uh, what, what we're going to talk to James about is a little bit different from what we've talked about already. We're going to talk about the importance of the stretch shortening cycle in speed and then certain ways to develop it. So I know James did a little bit of research on RSI and EUR, so he might touch on that a little bit, and that's probably for a whole different podcast in itself so do you, want to, do you want to just touch on first of all james the importance of sse in speed what it is and then ways to develop it yeah perfect um great stuff there but uh by the lads you know i think when we decided to do this on speed I, you know, I was excited all week about it but it is a you know there's a lot going on with speed development and i think they, the technique is such a huge and important part just to be efficient in in what you're doing you know like speed is it's really you know stride distance and you know the, the rate of rate of stride or stride frequency and technique is going to be a huge component to that. But um, so so is putting force into the ground. And I think um, the stretch shortening cycle. And I don't know if any, a lot of people might have heard of it, but it, it's one of the key ways of doing that: putting force into the ground and, and doing it in a, a really fast fashion. So just um, I think I'd better really touch on you know what is the stretch shortening cycle first. Um, so. You know, it, it's it can be a complicated thing, but I want to I want to break it down as simple as I can. And you know, one way to look at it is it's 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 a spring in, inside your muscle. You know, it's it's consists of the muscle or really the, the muscle, the tendon, um, called the muscle tendon unit. And then you know, also there's something called a fascia, which is kind of a, a stretchy uh, covering around the muscle and tendon, and it's also fibers within the muscle. And all of that together is you know where the stretch shortening cycle really happens. So if we look at maybe, you know, the, the easiest way is. You know, when you take a step to go on a fast break or to, to start that acceleration, you're gonna you're gonna plant the ball of your foot into the ground, and that's gonna stretch your cycle starts off with with a stretch, which is you know your your heels dropping towards the ground, and it's an eccentric action where you're really lengthening and stretching that uh that spring in in your calf, um and you know you you're gonna do that as fast as you can, and at some point you're gonna start decelerating the heels, you know creeping towards the ground, but there's gonna be a switch over, um and that that switch stretch cycle is, is what we call the amortization um, phase. So this all happens very fast. So you're going to stretch in the calf and then there's going to be a switch where you're going to switch over towards a concentric action. And uh, the stretch running cycle is where you, you, know, you really get that boost to the concentric portion of it. Um, all this needs to happen fast. You, know, it, it, you can't do this stuff slow. And I think we all know as, you know, if we've, as athletes or you know, coaches, you, know, you do things fast. So let's say a last step before a layup you're not going to go up and, and take a, a slow step. You're going to do it as, as forcefully as you can and really get that bounce. And, and that's the, the stretch running cycle in, um, in action. Um, and, you, you know, I'm talking about the leg here, but it's also, you know, it's in every muscle in your body. You can use this. Even if you look at something like a chest pass in basketball, and you're going to bring that ball to your chest first. You're going to stretch the chest muscles and then you're going to explosively push it in the opposite direction. And that's the same thing. You know, it's, it's um, you know, we, we do it subconsciously. But it, that's the stretch running cycle in action. Or even even a jump, you know, you're gonna if you're standing position, you're gonna drop down first. So you centrally drop down fast and explode upwards. We don't drop down slow. Um, speed is is really really a key thing um, when you're talking about the, the stretch shortening cycle. And uh, just I don't want to get too much into it, but there's, there's kind of three mechanisms where we we get benefit from this this cycle. And the, the first, the main thing is the spring. You know, the, that elastic energy in your muscle. Uh, being able to use that so a person who has a developed 
stretch running cycle is going to, you know, really get that spring from, from the action. So every step you take, jumping, uh, cutting, things like that, you, you want to use that spring. There's also, you know, developing your stretch running cycle, you can have uh, something called active state. So let's say before you land or before you push down, uh, about to take your step, you, you, you pre-tense your muscle. And that's an ability of people who have a, a highly developed stretch running cycle where you can pre have kind of pre-stiffness in the muscle so you can get the most out of that uh, elastic energy. And then uh, finally, there's a, it's kind of a, a component called reflex action. And that's just kind of things in the muscle. I think it's called uh, the muscle spindles that um, th they're, they're there to kind of help your muscle and, and stop damage being done. So when your muscle feels an extremely high force being put on it, so when you take that last step and you're, you're stretching your, your calf, there's a, a reflex action in the muscle saying, whoa, you know, a lot of force going through my muscle right now. I want to push in the opposite direction. So that reflex action can actually help your, your concentric movement as well. Um, but, you know, the biggest component of it is the speed. And, and, and for analysis with stretch shortening cycle, and, you know, Daniel said it, you know, I did a bit of study on it during my thesis. The, the stretch shortening cycle can be split into a fast and a slow component. So we're looking at times of, you'll say, for a fast um, stretch shortening cycle, we're looking at less than 0.25 seconds. And then for a slow stretch shortening cycle, it's a ground, tech, ground contact time of greater than 0.25. Um, and both are going to be used in basketball. Um, I think, you know, acceleration especially is going to be the slow. So, you know, when you have that first push off, it's going to be slow. But as you pick up speed, you're going to be using the faster shortening cycle as well. So both both are used. Um, and, you know, I think we need to train train both in uh, in basketball athletes. And just on my uh, on my master's, yeah, so we – I looked at assessing both of those qualities in basketball players. I was with a, a Western regional team and, you know, my, the idea was just to see, you know, which, which component of the stretch running cycle is more important to basketball players. Is it the slow? Is it the fast? And there's, uh, you know, two tests we used where the EUR or the eccentric uh, utilization ratio, which is really looking at the slow component and then the RSI or the reactive strength index, which looks more at the, the fast side. Um, I think, you know, we won't go into them too much now because they, they will be a good one. They are key tests when looking at, uh, you know, basketball athletes, so we might go into them later. But, um, you know, the, the study for me, it, it was great. You know, I got to got to dive into the basketball and dive into something very exciting like the stretch running cycle. And uh, I think results-wise, there was a, a slight correlation to to the, the fast stretch running cycle with the, the better performers in basketball. But, you know, I think looking at the game, we, we you know, both need to be trained Um you know, they're both very important to, to basketball athletes. Yeah, um, exactly, mate. Um, yeah, and I, and I can agree. I, I think that your, your your research could be a whole different podcast on its own. Yeah. Um, is there any is there any, anything else you want to touch on when it comes to that? Yeah, well, I you know I, I think uh, you know developing you know why why it's so important is. Um, you know, I've always liked the, the analogy of uh, if we have, you say, two basketballs, um, you know, one's kind of fully pumped, one's a bit flat, and we, we were to throw down on the baseline, you know, with equal force. You know, one of those balls is going to bounce down the court a lot faster, and it's going to get there a lot faster. Um, and that's, you know, the pump ball is the, the highly developed stretch shortening cycle. You know, having been able to, to use energy from each step and, and bounce on is, is, is what we're talking about. And in basketball, it's easy to see why that's important. You know, we're talking about cuts jumps you know getting it's a, it's a small court we're playing on so getting somewhere quickly getting there before your defender whether you're on offense or defense is you know it's, it's a huge ability to be able to train 
and I think, you know, especially when we're talking that, that naught to, to ten meters, um, it's gonna it's gonna play such a role um, in in helping you get there. And even even with I think the lads touched on you know arm swing and technique and you know the stretch running cycle, it, it's there as well. You know when you're swinging those arms and you're stretching on each side, you know the arm swing does play a huge role in your your sprinting speed. So you know it, it's in everything, and I, I think you know a lot of people probably don't know about it, but should be be training it a lot more. And um, with regards to that training, I think you know the. The, the the exercise we're looking at is biometrics, and everyone everyone's heard of biometrics. Um, they're especially in basketball. You know that is it's a it's a game of biometrics. You know of stretch shortening cycle and biometrics every step, all the jumps you're gonna do. And so I just gonna I think I should touch on you know some of the guidelines with it because people kind of jump into these sometimes, and uh, you know they're, they're very extreme exercises. So first I think before you really want to jump into you know. Because biometrics, true biometrics, is is not what people think in terms of you know a box jump, or uh, even a single jump. They're 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 true biometrics were kind of coined. That's an American term, but it really goes back to the Russians. Um, you know they they brought all, all the good stuff out back in the day, and uh, you know they called it a shock method of training, where it's a very intense uh, training method to get uh, to get faster and more explosive. So I think before young athletes, if they're listening to this, want to you know jump into and hear, you know hear this and want to think you know I got to get get going on a, on a plyo program some key things first is um you know you, you got to be strong not not overly strong but you, you got to have some base of strength especially eccentric strength um you know you're going to put a lot of force through your joints and through your through your muscles on these movements so and and you know the limbs it's only as strong as its weakest link so if you're just say your tendon can handle your achilles tendon can handle all this force it doesn't mean your muscle can so you know you Strengthening those muscles with calf raises or also the quads as well is going to be really important to getting the most out of a plyometric program in the future. So I think, you know, young athletes get, you know, same, we're going to touch on strength, I think, in future podcasts, but, you know, do, do your movements, do your lunges, calf raises, get strong in those, in those positions. We also want to look on, uh, you want to be able to land. You want to be able to know how to, to land and absorb force before you can worry about start producing it. So I think, you know, this stuff like, you know, on a box, just stepping off, landing on two feet, controlling the landing, you know, with a soft landing or sometimes with a stiff landing as well. So you're training, you're preparing for both the fast and, and slow stretch running cycle. Single leg landing, you want to be able to do both because, you know, whenever all is on two legs in basketball, it's, it's a lot of the time it's off one leg for layups and dunks or whatever you're doing. Um, and after you've, you've built, you know, a strong base of how to absorb force, I think you can start looking at something concentric force production. So, just regular standing jumps and um, single ones, or just even seated jumps where you're just working on the concentric portion of it. And um, that could be the next step um, towards in, in a good plyometric program. And after you get a good base of, you know, being able to absorb force and then being able to produce force, we can finally get on to, you know, the true plyometrics, which are, you know, the hurdle jumps, um, looking at really looking at minimizing the ground contact time and producing as much force as you can. So pogo jumps, uh, high knees, uh, you know, bounding up the court, single leg bounds, double leg, triple broad jumps, all things like that where you're really looking to just overload the uh, stretch shortening cycle, you know, put a lot of force into the leg and then it'd be able to, uh, you know, push it out in the opposite direction. Um, yeah, I think that there are kind of the, some key things to before you start doing a plyometric program. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, and actually... 
I think Mike, if you want to go and have a look at Mike's Instagram, anyone who's listed this at some point, he did a little post on trying to the importance right now of athletes nailing the basic supply metrics and kind of similar to what you were talking about there, there, James. Um, he has some examples of, okay. you know, non counter movement jumps, counter movement jumps, snap downs, and stuff like that. He's done some good work on that. Um, and you, you touched on you touched on strength there a little bit as well, James. And um, I mean, that's once again, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. We will do one on strength training for for them. But you're right, you're right. You know, your your tendon, you're only as strong as your your weakest link. So if your muscles aren't as strong as your tendons, or vice versa, and then you have to look at the, the stuff around that. Um, really, really good job on that, mate. I think you did a really good job of explaining it and the importance of it and how to train it. Um, so what we're, what we're going to do now is I'm going to kind of just, like I said at the end of the last podcast, is that it's all we talked in the last podcast about issues and the issues that come up. And that's that's great. You know, we anyone can identify issues. The real the real task comes in providing answers, right? Um, so what, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take all the listeners through the, the five stages, five phases, sorry, that we that I did on my Irish under 16 team over a two-year period of developing zero to 10, 15 speed. Um, so at any point, boys, if you want to butt in and, uh, and uh, have any questions on it, do. Um, I mean, it's going to be definitely going to be a little bit of a recap of everything we talked about today, but I'm just going to structure it out a little bit. So before I do that, does anyone have anything else that they want to chat about? We can chat a little bit after as well, but if anything that's on your mind right no, now. I think we're good. No, I'm looking forward to it. You're good? Okay. So so like I said, I'm going to go through five phases. And the, the, the reoccurring theme we've heard a lot today is technique is super important and the, probably the most important phase. So obviously phase one is going to be technique work. So this is kind of this was aimed at improving the athlete's low angles and acceleration, their kind of aggressive arm swing, their foot positioning through striking, and you know ground uh, contact times, and then kind of alternate alternating arm and leg actions. All this training was kind of done over generally performed over ten to fifteen meters with a real emphasis kind of paced or put sorry on uh, placed on the five meter acceleration performance. We didn't have any speed gates, so the objective data was unfortunately not available. But we, as this was such a technical phase, we're looking at, you know, you know, our coach's eyes being our, our subjective data, but uh, that's what we were looking at using mostly. Um, what we didn't do in this phase, and I think this is an important thing to kind of touch on, is we didn't have, we didn't put forward any reaction stimulus. And the reason we, this was kind of, we did this to try to eliminate any poor reps that were done due, due to misreacting to a verbal stimulus. You know, you shout at them and they're not ready and they, they move, then you, you've just wasted a rep. And we have such little contact hours within an international setup. This was really important to start with. The kind of the drills that we use in this phase were kind of simple, uh, like, like what Declan talked about, you know, your wall drives, your um, stomach starts, your falling starts, et cetera, all these kind of things. But really the main goal of this phase was let them sprint, get feedback, re- recover sufficiently, and then kind of let them sprint again. So following on from phase one, obviously comes phase two. And this is, once again, each, as you'll see a pattern of the next four phases, every, the first word is always reinforcement. So first of all, we, we didn't, this one is reinforcement and verbal reaction. So we didn't differ a, a huge lot from the first phase of work. The only difference being, as you can see in the title, is that athletes are now reacting to a verbal stimulus, such as a whistle or instruction to go. Now, one of the, one of the skills coaches once said to me at Irish Union that, why do we always use a whistle? A whistle means the game stopped. And it kind of stuck with me and I was like, that's, that's fair enough. So it could be a good idea for, for coaches to have an idea of what they want their athletes to react to and start using that as a reaction stimulus verbally anyway. And we'll get into visual in a minute. Um, the key component of this phase was kind of, you know, reinforce of technique, reinforcement of technique. And this is, like I said, mainly due to low contact hours that we have with these athletes. We're looking at maybe 
once a month, twice a month if we're lucky over these periods. Um, and really, it was a big emphasis on kind of working on regression um, because, you know, there's going to be regression in technique and bad habits picked up in between international camps because we then send them home and to do speed work probably without a speed coach with them in most cases. So they're going to pick up bad habits. And that's kind of goes back a little bit, I guess, to the peer assisted learning that we talked about earlier. Um, so like some of the regressions that you'd see, you know, such as instead of having alternating arm swings, you'll have same sided arm and leg and stuff like that. Um, once again, during this phase, all program distances were kind of based off 10 to 15 meters with a real emphasis on the five meter acceleration. And the same kind of similar drills were used again and just kind of progressions of all them drills. And we kind of touched on that a little bit with Declan. And then phase three was our reinforcement verbal and visual reaction. So now we've added in a third stimulus of visual reaction uh, or second stimulus of visual reaction. Um, we use basically basketballs, tennis balls, mostly basketballs, to be honest, that's what they're looking to react to in a game. So we kind of wanted to keep it you know, specific enough. In this phase, an emphasis was taken on, on like a positive first step rather than a backwards one. So if you look back to the first phase where we talked about you know, not having that poor reaction, we now obviously start to see that as we add in stimuluses, reaction stimuluses. So this will kind of become an issue once you have your verbal reaction begun. Instead of them taking, sorry, their verbal reaction into the training, Instead of them taking a positive uh, step in their acceleration, they take a negative one, so they step backwards. So, you know, if you perform this, we kind of, they were made very aware of it and we would give them time over several international weekends, so maybe three, or three months or so, to kind of really work on that um, and try to get them into the habit of taking a positive first step. Um, if this wasn't the case and they were very struggling with that, then we kind of approached it from an angles over it, inches approach, which means if you are going to take that, that negative step well then you better make sure that you're in a very good acceleration angle and all the technique stuff we talked about to produce force again in the opposite direction um and now this isn't ideal but you know it's trying to is a slightly attempt to bridge the gap within that um backward step so then moving on from that we go on to phase four so this is probably 14 15 months into a 20 month program so you what you'll what realize now is this is the first implementation of competition. So now we have reinforcement, verbal, visual, and competition. Um, you'll hear a lot of strength coaches say, you, 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 if you want to see spring mechanics perform well, do them in a warm-up, do them on their own. If you want to see them go to shit, put them into a game scenario. And that's so true. So when you're dealing with youth athletes, then you, you, your, your job is to improve their sprint mechanics over that period of time. So be very, very hesitant to put them into game-like scenarios. Um, until their, you know, until their technique is sufficient. And like with all of these, they, they, they kind of are all based on what their technique is at that time. Is it sufficient to move on from verbal to visual? Is it sufficient to move on from just technique to verbal or phase one, phase two, phase three? And then as a coach, you want to kind of look at the practicality of it and put them into areas. So if you have three or four that, you know, are, are slightly, if you have, so give you an example at the start, we had 36 athletes. Um, that's going to be very difficult to put them into groups. You kind of have to do it all together. So, but that's okay because you're really working on technique. But as as you as you start, you know, seeing differences in technique, maybe putting a good one with a poor one or two poor ones together, and kind of find out ways that you can improve them that way. Um, coming back to that kind of peer assisted learning. Um, now that we're now that we're in this competition, um, we kind of already it's the only kind of for the athletes who have that sufficient technique. It's kind of based on visual reaction and chasing games. Um, most of them would like, you know, be like an example being a simple chase game with the athletes kind of beginning in different positions, such as, you know, their flex, ready stance, their split stance, you know, kneeling start, stomach start, all these kind of things. 
And this this was obviously then lack of every phase. It was just all the work that was done was a continuation from all previous phases. So, you know, we, we are still looking at, you know, this time we might move some of our drills into the warm-up and stuff like that, like Michael was saying. Um, and at this point, we're looking now we're 14 months probably into a 20-month program. We're looking at more towards gain specificity now. Um, so then, then the final phase is, once again, like every phase, reinforcement. And then we're talking about fine-tuning. So this was the kind of fifth and final phase of the speed training. And it was kind of, it was performed in the lead up to the European Championships in Montenegro in 2018. Um, it started really with a reinforcement of technique because, you know, like, like in anything, it's not an ideal world. And the athletes had just been performing their junior certs and state examinations and um, just previous to this phase and kind of had been, majority of them had been inactive for a number of weeks or definitely not doing the same kind of stuff that they had been doing in the lead up to it. So regressions and technique were, were pretty big here now because they had a base beforehand they were quite quick to get back onto it um and at this stage we've probably seen them once every two weeks in the lead up so there's a lot of more contact hours um where when uh, during this time because now we had been cut from a, a squad of 36 to a squad of 12 it allowed us to do a few more things and one of these things was have an ipad for video recording so during this time the sprint up work was all video recorded using an ipad and then we would kind of re-examine it with them in real time and give them objective feedback based on what they're seeing. Now, this is ideal. If you're working with one athlete, then you can do this from the very start. If you're working from 36, and like, like Declan said earlier, working with 25, it's going to be no chance. You haven't got the time to do it. Um, this was then followed, once again, kind of by reaction stimulus work. So once the technique was kind of up to stand again, reaction and following the same kind of approaches that we've done phase to phase. And to be honest, as form and technique was kind of sufficient, during this period towards the end you know we've done a lot of work over two years and majority of girls had done a really good job of training on their own and getting to a standard that i was very happy with you know the, the aim like just like from the first phase was to get them to perform high speed work over distance appropriate to the sport we were doing recover fully and sufficiently and repeat them for an adequate amount of time um so that was the five phases and now we did it over you know 20 months because that's the length of our program now most irish programs are a year long you can really you know, you can really break that back into any way you want to look at it. If you only have a, a case where, okay, I've got 27, 28 athletes this year, I want to work on the first three phases. And then I want to tell the coaches coming in next year to try work on the next two. Okay, I have some coaches or some athletes who have been working with an SNC coach for last year and probably ready for phase three, phase four, phase five. And that's where the practicality of it has to kind of be figured out. Um, any questions on any of that, guys? Uh, I was just uh, kind of uh, as you're you're talking here and uh, and Mike as well. Just on the on the teaching within the Irish setup, did you find you used um, kind of different coaching cues for bigs versus guards, or was there a difference in you know how low they can get with terms of angles or mobility issues, or you know was there any difference at all in how you did you take it all as one group or were they split into positions? And you go for it if you want. You can go for it. Um, if, if I'm be, being honest, uh, James, I was dealing with, for the most part, female girls, right? Teenage girls where the height range probably wasn't as big as you might see within guys. Um, okay. I think going, if I'm, if I'm correct, I think the, the tallest player I had going into Israel in 2017 was about six foot one with the smallest, maybe being five, five. Um, uh, let me think. And then probably kind of maybe five, ten. 5'11 going to Montenegro with the smallest being maybe 5'4, five, 5'3, five, something like that. Um, so, yeah, you would definitely, 
alter your your uh, coaching cues a little bit, but I've always altered my coaching cues on how the athlete reacts to what I say. Um, so it might be a case that I want someone to, to lean forward, lean forward, you know, get into that aggressive, but they won't do it. But if I tell them to, you know, push off hard, they tend to get into that lean forward already or something like that. That's how I would probably change my coaching cues more than anything. Um, yep. But I, I can I can imagine, and it's a good point that you, you say, I, I can imagine that if you're dealing with, you know, seven foot guys versus, you know, six foot guys, then yeah, you're, you're probably going to have to change your approach. Um, but I think that's that's kind of everything, right? Um, is there anything you would, no, you would I mean, touch on that, No, I Mike? mean, you touched on it there. We, we did have instances where there was taller girls and it did struggle to maybe get in that kind of forwarding position. And I think it's a case of you, you touched on there. It's just kind of tweaking coaching cues and maybe some different drills and stuff. But it's just, again, what he's touched on in the, the, in the system is just reinforcing reinforcing the, the cues and the technique all the way through. Yeah, I, I guess I that's, that's. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, go on, Daniel. No, go on, go on, go on, mate, go on, go on. You crack. No, I guess that kind of that, that makes sense. Yeah, just and I guess you know that's why I suppose he put a big emphasis on speed because your team was all of a a similar height. You know, you didn't have the advantage in size, so you, you might have gone for the speed a bit more. Which you know, that's that's a good tip for coaches or for for people managing teams. You know, you, you can play to your advantage as well. Yeah, and and I think I think you have to have an understanding of. You know, you're doing speed work, and the goal is to be speed, to obviously be fast, right? But um, there's a psychological thing there as well. You know, if you have bigger players who are taller that aren't as fast as a small, like nifty players, and you have to be very understanding of that. So you might have to say, really emphasize in your coaching that they're doing such a good job on something that you know may not be the most apparent thing to everyone else, but you can kind of get into their heads that way. Because a lot of times you're going to have, you know, amount of times I would have have girls turn to me and go that was shit wasn't it and they go that wasn't put that wasn't shit at all you know you did this well this well this well i would say maybe this is something you could improve on but everyone can improve on that whereas the smaller yeah. ones that you know the, the shorter players they tend to get it a little bit you know and you're also looking at i know it's probably a little bit a whole different topic as well as peak height velocity and stuff like that and that, that's probably something i should have t- touched on uh in in my phases is that do not be scared to regress. I think someone said it earlier, do not be scared to, I think it was deck to, to regress them um, and tell them why. I mean, explain to them what a peak height velocity is, especially if you're working with certain age groups that are appropriate to that. They're going to lose a little bit of coordination. That's absolutely fine. But, and I think more importantly at your job, it's important to make them aware of that and make the skills coaches aware of that as well. You know, they were good before the summer, they hit a, a, a peak in their height over the summer, they come back and then just not as good when they come back in, in October or September then you need to make everyone aware of that, including themselves that don't worry about it, throw in some coordination work, and then, you know, start going back onto that again. Um, Declan, do you have anything to say? Uh, yeah, I like uh, I'm just intentively listening there, Danny. It's been uh, very good now and very informative, I tell you. A um, couple, couple of things, yeah, just touching on what James was saying, like with the speed and I suppose the different heights of people. I'd always take an individual approach. Um, so, and, and Michael touched on that the same kind of answer as well. He was saying like, every player is going to be different. It doesn't, Height, height does factor into it, but you know, something there's something different about everyone. So as a coach, I I kind of steer away from going. Well, you're under six foot, so I'm going to coach you in this specific way, and you're over six foot, so you you get a, a totally new set of coaching cues. I'd I'd be more along the lines of, well, I'll see you, I'll, I'll see your technique, I'll train speed year round anyway, and we'll see what we can do to maybe you know increase your efficiency of movement. So you might not necessarily get faster. But your your efficiency of doing my call through the roof. So 
you're not wasting as much energy getting up and down the course. So now you're, you're fitter when really it's just you're more efficient. Or, you know, for, for some people, say, it could affect injury levels. So they might have very tight hamstrings, for instance. And anytime they get to max speed, they might feel a twinge or they might be, you know, on the verge of that injury. Well, the best thing for that is your, your speed training. Get, give them chances to, to run through that five meters, to run through that 10 meters. So your muscles are getting used to the strain and getting prepared for the strain. Um, and then we haven't touched on it today, and we might touch on it again, maybe, is that deceleration. Um, and I think that's vast, you know, vastly important with speed. But whereas it's not exactly training speed, it is still strengthening up the muscles and providing them with that strength to deal with the force that they're producing. Um, so maybe that's something we will, we will touch on at, at a later stage. But no, that, that's kind of all the points I, I really had to make. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think you're right, you know, that a whole different podcast will be based on deceleration and, and changing the direction. Um, we, we're taking this very much from a, a linear speed approach today, but, you know, I think it was a good one to start with. Um, anything before we finish up, guys, anything you anyone wants to touch on, just shout out? Uh, just, um, I, I think I only, I only covered it very briefly, the plyometrics and just the, you know, how you start training for them. So if I'm going to, over the next few weeks, kind of put in some more on my Instagram, just some tips on the intensity because they're such a controversial topic and just, you know, there's so many different ways to build intensity with them and, you know, what you want to start off with and what you want to go towards in terms of, you know, ground contact time or the number of jumps per session. So if uh, if anyone's kind of confused from what I've said today, I, I will be putting a bit more into my Instagram account over the next few days. Yeah, perfect. And like like Mike touched on earlier with the kind of hamstring and, and the high speed running, now is the perfect time for athletes to nail the basics of flying metrics before they go back into preseason. Um, Mike, Deck, anything you want no, to No, I think we've got, there's a lot of info there. So I, I mean, I think we're good. I think we covered a lot of details. So yeah. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So what I'll do once again is I'll give the you guys a chance to we'll go we'll start with uh, James. We'll work our way down to kind of plug where people can find you and stuff like that. So you go first, James. Yeah. So just on on the Instagram uh, athlete development dot wnm for why not me. So I think if if you could put a, maybe a link in the in the bio for the podcast or yeah or whatever, and I just yeah I'll cover some of the stuff over the next few days on just the intensity of plyometrics and how we can how we can change them. Yeah, same. Okay, so perfect. Again, what about you, Mike? I'm just Michael Stack. And again, we, if people are kind of struggling to understand it from the theory point of view, I'm sure we can kind of put some videos together so people can kind of visually see what, what we're talking about. Yeah, so Declan Berry on, on Instagram there as well. And again, I suppose I didn't go through an awful lot of drills and stuff like that. I, I went through one or two. But uh, if anyone actually wants to look for a few drills or wants to look at a few kind of techniques that I use, you can get on to me there and I, I'd be more than happy to send them out to you. Okay, perfect. Uh, so we'll, we'll have a chat during the week, guys, about a topic for next week. Um, so have a think about it. Thank you so much no for worries. coming on today and I'll be in touch. Okay, thank you so much for listening in today. Um, you know, it's it, like I said, we're going to try. We talked about the issues. We're going to try provide examples of how you would solve them. And um, today was speed. Over next week, I think we're probably going to do injury rehabilitation next week, or trying to prevent or reduce the risks of injuries within youth basketball in Ireland. Um, thank you once again for James, Mike, and Declan for coming on. Um, I would really recommend everyone go look at their 
their pages, see how see the kind of stuff they're going to be putting up over the next couple of weeks. Um, oh, and then ourselves on the podcast here, we are going to be talking to next week, Dave Williamson, when it comes to swimming. We are going to be talking to Kiri Langford about archery. Uh, Logan Baker is going to come on and talk sports psychology and a few others. Thanks for listening. <laughs>